you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. On this podcast, we're going to talk about QAnon crowds gathering in Dallas, Texas, as they await the return of John F. Kennedy Jr., who's been dead for decades. Pastor Lance Wallnau's belief that wokeism is a cult. The White House's spiritual advisor, Paula White. It's been a year since she's called angels from Africa to guarantee Trump would win the election. Religious talk show host Glenn Beck going from hating Trump to loving him at breakneck speeds. We also take voicemails. If you want to leave a voicemail for me, the number is 1-800-701-8573. That's 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hi, I'm Liv. I'm from Minnesota. I uh, called you back a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, anyways, here's a probably a really weird question. If someone gets diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia and they are a Jehovah's Witness, would there be an exception for them for like door knocking and preaching and stuff? I don't know if you have an answer for that, but it's a question that's been popping up on my mind recently. All right, thanks. Hope you have a great day. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, The answer to your question is yes. In fact, they do have an exception for people who are physically disabled or have some kind of mental condition or disability like Alzheimer's disease or, or dementia or something like that. When I was younger, I've told this story a few times, but my dad pretended to be disabled for 11 years. I, I, I don't need to get into it right now, but one day he walked into the living room, stood up out of his wheelchair and walked in and said, I've been lying to you guys and myself for 11 years. I can really walk. It was pretty shocking, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that my dad was disabled and he was on the visitation list. That's what they call it. It was on a board in the back of the kingdom hall and it was a list of all of the disabled people that couldn't make it to meetings or couldn't knock on doors or whatever else. So every Saturday, when people were going in service to knock on doors, different car groups would pick different people on the visitation list to go visit, and they'd go over there for 30 minutes or maybe even an hour, and they'd hang out with them, they'd talk to them, they'd see how they were doing, they'd ask if they needed help with anything or or whatever. And my dad was on that visitation list. The reason that they have this list, I believe, is at least in part because they aspire to basically have their own government. That's kind of what they want to do. Jehovah's Witnesses expect complete societal and governmental collapse at the end. So they want to be able to step in with a government and fill the role that the government fills right now, basically. So that's why they have this whole setup with visitation lists and everything else. If you are just physically disabled and not mentally disabled, like with Alzheimer's or something, they sometimes expect you to turn in, like, time every month anyways. Like, my dad could have been doing letter-writing campaigns, you know? Write letters and pick out a name from the phone book and send the letter out to them. Or phone call campaigns. Look up phone numbers in the phone book, call them up and tell them you're a Jehovah's Witness and you have some good news for them, that kind of thing. So that's kind of how Jehovah's Witnesses do it. If you have some debilitating condition that doesn't allow you to go out, you aren't expected to. But that being said, if you are faking or you don't 
put your all into it? According to the governing body member, Tony Morris, he says you will be judged for that for murder. Because the people who die in Armageddon that you didn't get to, that you didn't get to talk to in service, if they die in Armageddon because you didn't make it to their door, you're blood guilty and it's just as bad as committing murder. They're pretty serious about it, so you better not be faking. Hi, Owen. This is Chris from Rhode Island. Um, First of all, I just want to say, big fan of your channel. Love the stuff that you put out. Um, But I was curious what your thoughts were on this. I've sort of noticed this among atheists, that some will go great lengths to avoid using phrases or terminology like saying, oh, my God, when something surprising happens, for example. And and sometimes we'll outright berate others if they do so, and they're also atheists. I mean, I personally use it just mostly out of force of habit, but I was wondering what you think about that. Um, thanks. Have a good one. I'm sure you guys know what the bite model is by Stephen Hassan. I've talked about it a lot on my channel, but just in case you don't, it's the model that we use to determine if something is a cult or not. And it's four categories, behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. It's the four ways in which cults control you. And under each category are between seven and 11 different points, different ways in which they control you. Behavior modification through a system of rewards and punishments, instilling fears and phobias, rejection of critical thinking and doubts, uh, things like that. I actually added one to the bite model myself when I do breakdowns of groups and talk about what ways in which they control people. I added a point to it. And the point that I added is called putting a high level of importance on seemingly trivial events or ideas. Basically, the idea behind this is Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas, for example, because of some perceived ties to paganism, right? Some flimsy ties to paganism, barely there. You can trace the history of anything back far enough and you'll figure out it somehow routes back to like non-Christian celebrations or something like that. But they're putting so much importance, so much emphasis on something that is so completely trivial and pointless. It's a hallmark of extremism. And that is why I don't have a problem with people using the, the you know common language. Oh my God, for example. I don't give a shit if atheists use that term, and nobody else should either. Who cares? This is putting a ridiculous amount of importance on something completely trivial. It's extremist, generally. It doesn't mean that you're an extremist or that you're in a cult or anything, but you're going overboard. It's too much, in my opinion. Hey, Telltale. It's uh, Darian from California. My question is, with all this like crazy stuff that these pastors and conspiracy theorists are talking about, when do you think we'll see like another January 6th level event? Love the show. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, January 6th was an extremely unique situation. The reason I say it's unique is because the people were all right there outside where the lawmakers were, basically where the entire seat of government was. Anybody that was in government that wasn't Donald Trump was in that area at that time, just about. All of the U.S. representatives were there. The senators and the congressmen were all there. And it was like a perfect storm. It was 
intentionally set up that way by Donald Trump, we're coming to find out, or by people involved with Donald Trump. But seeing that perfect storm come again, um, I don't know. It's going to be hard. It, it's hard to imagine things lining up so perfectly like that again, at least in part because that scared congressmen so much that they will make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen again. So I'm not expecting another January 6th type of event to happen. I think what we have to look forward to from here is a lot of stochastic terrorism. Trump and others are going to continue to demonize people or groups or things, scare people as much as they possibly can until some lone nut does something really terrible. And we're going to see a rise in that over the next however long Trump is involved in politics, in my opinion. Hey, Owen, it's Lou. What can we do about a political party that has abandoned responsibility and installed a distrust in everyone else? Uh, what can even be done there? Talk to you later, man. This is a second phone call, a second voicemail he left right after the first, so I spliced them together. Oh, and what up? It's Lou again. Again. <laughs> I just had a great idea. We can all make a bunch of money. Our community needs to get together, and we can reprint Bibles where we replace Jesus with President Donald J. Trump. I think we'll be billionaires. Later. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's a good idea. I might steal it from you. What can be done about people going completely over the edge like this? I think the answer is changing the school curriculum to be more critical thinking based rather than patriotic or whatever else. Donald Trump had this whole idea for how he wanted to restructure the curriculum. Maybe not Donald Trump, but the people around him, and he was pushing it hard. After Trump lost, they decided, you know, all of these deeply read people decided to go into the school boards, try to take control. They were running for the school board seats, and they were busting in and... and doing all these talks and everything else, taking control of these school boards. Extremely concerning because that's going the exact opposite direction that we need to go in. If we really want to break people out of this or at least prevent this kind of extremism in the future, I think we need to reform the school boards and improve the curriculum so that it encourages critical thinking skills. In my opinion, that that's the solution out of this. Let me tell you this, though. The moral arc bends toward justice. I know the situation that we're in right now is stressful and scary and feels hopeless sometimes, but think about this. 200 years ago, we were fighting a battle to end slavery, and we won it. 100 years ago, some people, I guess, were fighting a battle to end segregation, and we eventually won it. 50 years ago, we were fighting a battle so that gay people could get married and live in peace and not have to worry about being beaten to death in the streets. For the most part, we won it. All of those things are, to some degree, still a problem. Slavery is a worldwide problem, not so much a U.S. problem except for the prison systems. Segregation isn't a problem in the law anymore, but there's still a lot of racism we have to deal with. And gay marriage isn't a problem in the law anymore, but there's still a lot of discrimination there. So, 
Yes, we have a lot of work to do, but the moral arc bends toward justice. We are succeeding. Conservatism is a losing position by default. They want to conserve the culture as it is. They want to preserve it. They don't want it to change. Well, guess what? The Republicans of today are almost like the Democrats of 100 years ago. They had to move over on these issues. They had no choice. Once culture moved, they had to move with it. That's it. Conservatism is a losing position. So we will make progress. Don't let yourself get down about this stuff. We will make progress. We'll take a few steps back, but we will always take more steps forward, always. It just takes time. That's it. Hey, Owen. I've been listening to you for about a year now. I came across your YouTube channel when I wanted to know if the religion I grew up in was a cult. Anyways, I have a question pertaining to um, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. I know someone who's trying to find her identity since leaving the religion, and it causes a lot of distress for her because she feels like she has no personality and there's no sense of self there. So what's your advice for an ex-JW who's in search of themselves? Like, how do they even start? And how can someone like me support that person in their search? Thanks so much, and keep doing what you're doing. Take care. It's a tough question. I know when I left the religion behind, I had no direction. I had no idea what to do or how to find myself or who I am or whatever. The fact is, you are who you are now. I'm assuming your friend was a Jehovah's Witness from a very young age like I was. That may not be the case. I don't know. But I grew up in it, and I didn't have a personality prior to Jehovah's Witnesses. They formed my personality. They molded it into what it is today. And as a result, I do have some qualities that Jehovah's Witnesses value. For example, I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in fighting or war or battles of any sort. Uh, only in the most extreme situations where you are backed into a corner and have absolutely no other choice. It's a part of my personality. Whether I like that or not, that's just who I am. But you can remove the flawed parts of your personality. For example, coming out of Jehovah's Witnesses, I had a problem with gay people. I removed that flaw from my personality looked at the science and looked at the people and realized there's absolutely no reason for me to hold this position other than Jehovah's Witnesses programmed it into me. So I removed the bad parts and I added good things to it, valuable things to it. I found interests outside of what Jehovah's Witnesses had to offer. I love collecting and playing retro games, for example. I love ta you know, streaming on YouTube. I love doing all this stuff. I found hobbies and interests and friends and integrated it all into my life and it all kind of naturally arose. It all kind of naturally flowed into a new personality that I had independent of Jehovah's Witnesses. So I would recommend if you want to help somebody find their authentic self, their authentic personality, as psychology calls it. Try getting them into hobbies and see what they enjoy doing. And maybe pay special attention to those hobbies that Jehovah's Witnesses don't like. Like, for example, playing Pokemon, reading fantasy books, Harry Potter, things like that. They don't like fantasy books or witchcraft or whatever else. That could be valuable. Uh, good luck. 
Hey, uh, I'm Addison from Indiana, and I just had a question for you. Uh, you. In one of your recent videos, you talked about how it's very hard, if not impossible, for presidents to be elected if they aren't expressly Christian. You mentioned how there hasn't been a president in our history, really, who was elected without being a Christian. So I wanted to ask, when do you think uh, this country will be ready to elect someone from either a different faith or someone who's an atheist interested to hear what your take is. Thanks. Honestly, I don't think the United States was ready to accept the first black president, Obama. It came entirely too late in this country's history, but we still have holdouts from the Civil War, people who passed this racist, evil ideology down to their children and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And now we we still have this like little racist faction in the United States that's not so little as it turns out. I'm glad that Obama won. I'm glad that we had our first black president. But it tells me that the problems that Obama had, people making fun of him and all that other shit, it tells me that we're still pretty far off from having an atheist president. I don't think that there's... We're probably more religious in the United States now than, than this country has ever been. It is pretty extreme right now. You know, an atheist may win an election, but I don't think that they could possibly win an election on being an atheist. If they came out and said, I'm an atheist and I want to be president, they could not win on that. Absolutely no chance of it. Even being a secret atheist, people would still use that as ammunition against them. We have a long way to go. I would say 30, 40, maybe even 50 years before we see something like that. I guess time will tell. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. American Choir Boy. Did you ever hear that Eric Trump said his dad literally saved Christianity? What are your thoughts on that? I did hear about that. It's been a while since I saw that clip, though. This is Associated Press. Let me let me see if I can watch this clip real quick. One second here. President Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. This quote he's giving right here, I believe this is Reagan's quote about a thousand years of darkness. It's the same one Chuck Norris used to claim that we would plunge into a thousand years of darkness if Obama won. It must be fought for, and it must be protected. This is the fight that we are in right now, and it is a fight that only my father can win. Boy, they really ramp shit up to 10, don't they? Every single time they do anything, it's fucking bizarre. Joe Biden is a politician who has been in government for 47 years. He's a career politician who's never signed the front of a check and does not know the slightest thing about the American worker or the American business the engine which fuels the greatest economy the world has ever known. The same politician who has been a total pushover for communist China and someone who would be a giant relief for terrorists who now have spent years running, hiding, and being taken out by the most talented military known to man, to the voiceless, shamed, censored, and canceled. My father will fight for you. And to every proud American who bleeds red, white and blue my father will continue to fight for you this is just pure propaganda from beginning to end isn't it there isn't a thought in his head that didn't come from the party or from donald trump i just can't stand that the u.s politics have devolved to this level at this point it's really hard to watch sometimes in closing i'd like to speak directly to my father 
I miss working alongside you every single day, but I'm damn proud to be on the front lines of this fight. I'm proud of what you're doing for this country. I'm proud to show my children what their grandfather is fighting for. I'm proud to watch you give them hell. Never stop. Continue to be unapologetic. Keep fighting for what is right. You are making America strong again. You are making America safe again. You are making America proud again. And yes, together with a forgotten man and woman who are finally forgotten no more, you are making America great again. Dad, let's make Uncle Robert very proud this week. Let's go get another four years. I love you very much. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. It doesn't seem like that was the clip that I was looking for where he said that his dad saved Christianity, but I don't know. That one seemed worth it to me anyways. Uh, fucking weird. The, this dude and the entire family are strange. Is it just me? There's just something real fucking weird about like their mannerisms and the fact that they're obsessed with themselves and with how they're going to make the the country great, how nothing was good until they came along and touched it. It's just embarrassing and sad. I really, really hope that Trump's kids don't get involved in politics. I don't know why they'd want to. In fact, I don't know why anybody would want to get involved in politics at all. Politics seems fucking terrible. Have you seen some of the shit that they did to, like, Hillary Clinton or even Bernie Sanders or hell, even Donald Trump. I mean, there were some news outlets out there that really twisted things around that he said. Politics seems fucking awful in basically every way, shape, and form. I don't know anybody who would want to be involved in that shit. Anyways, yeah, I, I think I remember him saying Trump saved Christianity. Just a another completely obnoxious, borderline blasphemous claim that I can't even believe he still has the backing of Christians after saying. When we come back, we're going to talk about QAnon crowds gathering in Dallas, Texas, as they await the return of John F. Kennedy Jr., who's been dead for decades. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The other day, I was kind of scrolling through Reddit, as I do, and I came across this story of a bunch of QAnon people in Dallas, Texas, wandering around aimlessly. I'm showing it on screen here. Wandering around aimlessly at the grassy knoll where JFK died. And it turns out they were waiting there for John F. Kennedy Jr. to appear. By the way, John F. Kennedy Jr. died in a plane crash like decades ago. Dude's dead. So I started researching this, trying to understand what the conspiracy was. I, I, I wanted to know what was in their head. And um, I regret it. I regret getting into this. But I have to say, it's an endlessly entertaining story, if not endlessly sad, because people really do believe this shit. That's really, really sad to me. But like I said, there is an entertaining element. So I wanted to dive into QAnon this episode, this clip, 
and see what's going on. So let's read this article. It's by independent.co.uk. The title is Why Some QAnon Believers Think JFK Jr. Is Still Alive and About to Become Vice President. After that, I wanted to look at another article titled The Passion of the Christ Actor Jim Caviezel Tells QAnon Conference to Send Their Enemies Back to Hell Where They Belong. I don't know if you guys remember Jim Caviezel, but he played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, I believe. If you were religious in the 2000s, 2010s, you probably saw that movie. I didn't. It was rated R, and it was kind of from Christendom, as Jehovah's Witnesses call it, but it was a big fucking deal for a lot of churches, so... This guy is extremely important in Christian circles, so I wanted to give this video a watch too. But like I said, before we watch that, let's read this article about why QAnon was meeting on the grassy knoll waiting for John F. Kennedy Jr. to show up. This is on independent.co.uk. Let's read it. Conspiracy theorist group QAnon hit a bizarre milestone on Tuesday when its supporters gathered for what they believed would be the return of the late JFK Jr., who they postured would be running on an imagined 2024 ticket with former President Donald Trump. John Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr.'s plane was pulled out of the Atlantic Ocean more than 22 years ago in a crash that killed him, his wife Carolyn, and his sister-in-law, Lauren Bassett. For some QAnon true believers, though, the son of the 35th President of the United States not only survived the tragedy, but is poised to make a dramatic return to public life. A bizarre theories emerged suggesting that the accident was just a ruse to fake his death and that he will re-emerge perhaps as early as next month to join a reinstated President Donald Trump as vice president. I thought, you know, this is just another stupid conspiracy theory. Like, how many people are really buying this, right? A lot of fucking people are buying this right now. This is video of the crowd that showed up at the grassy knoll to wait for John F. Kennedy Jr. to appear with Donald Trump to declare their running for office in 2024. Look at this shit. That's a lot of fucking people. That is a lot of fucking people. They're all there waiting for John F. Kennedy Jr. to show up. Dude's been dead for decades, and they think he's gonna show up. Let's keep reading the article. And those devotees gathered on Tuesday for what they expected would be a dramatic revelation at the AT&T Discovery Plaza in Dallas, but was in fact more of a damp squib. Wow, I don't think I've ever heard that word before. When JFK Jr. unsurprisingly failed to make an appearance, people in the crowd suggested he would in fact make an appearance at a Rolling Stones concert later that day. Of course, he also failed to attend that event. But that hasn't stopped people from speculating that the deceased Kennedy is still alive. A viral video has even shown a middle-aged man that some QAnon devotees claim is JFK Jr. himself. Check this shit out. This is an actual video. It seems like satire. It seems like a parody. This is real. These are two QAnon guys that believe that this guy is John F. Kennedy Jr. walking out of, I think, CPAC? It's JFK Jr. You're back. Holy shit, dude! No way. I'm all right, man. It is unbelievable. I can't believe this, dude. I don't know how you who you are, man. Oh, he's filming. We gotta get going. Are you JFK Jr.? Please tell us. Tell us. Tell us. How did you survive the plane crash, or was it just faked? We gotta get going. Just be honest. Be honest. Blink twice if you're JFK Jr. Blink twice if you're JFK Jr. 
One, two, one, two, one, two. See how he does it? Dude, that was fucking incredible. Crazy. Can you believe that? No. You never know who you're going to run into in there. JFK Jr. was over there. John F. Kennedy Jr.? He was oh, here. Yeah, sure. How about Elvis? Elvis you're making a you're making a joke. I'm of talking about QAnon, who is John F. Kennedy Jr., who faked his own death because the Hillary Clinton I was trying to kill him. About, you know, that's He's why right I'm talking about Elvis. Right over there. Go catch that's up why I'm talking about I feel like Elvis. you're not taking this seriously. Yeah. Whether or not this was real, it doesn't matter. QAnon circles have latched onto it and actually believe that this guy on screen is JFK Jr. They believe this video, unironically. That's, that's where we are now with QAnon. That's the level that we're at at this point, where they believe they found JFK Jr. They believe that he's going to run for office as Donald Trump's vice president, and they are so devoted to that idea that they actually gathered in a crowd at the grassy knoll to wait for his return. That's fucking unhinged. That's not actually the only QAnon news that I have for you guys today. There's another article, as I mentioned earlier, about the actor that played Jesus on The Passion of the Christ, the movie that Mel Gibson himself directed back in, I don't know, 2000s or 2010, somewhere in there. I think it was the early 2000s. Jim Caviezel, Jesus Christ himself, appeared at a QAnon conference, and he had some shit to say. Let's give this a listen and see what he had to say for himself. This is late October 2021 when this clip came out. Fight and you may die. Run and you live. For at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you have been willing to trade all the years from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that you can take our lives. You can never take our freedom. Oh, please. Oh, my God. This is so cliche. It's hard to listen to. That you can take our lives. You can never take our freedom. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. You, 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 you. We must fight for that authentic freedom and live, my friends. By God, we must live. And with the Holy Spirit as your shield and Christ as your sword, may you join St. Michael and all the angels in defending God and sending Lucifer and his henchmen straight right back to hell where they belong. They're unhinged, dude. They are completely fucking unhinged from reality. Like I said, it's sad, but I will be damned if it's not entertaining as hell. All right, let's read the article on The Independent and see what it has to say. The Passion of the Christ actor Jim Caviezel delivered a bizarre speech to a QAnon conference, repeating word for word Mel Gibson's famous battle cry from, from Braveheart. Again, Mel Gibson actually directed The Passion of the Christ, I believe, so I don't know. There's some weird link there. Mr. Caviezel was speaking at the Forgotten Country Patriot Double Down Convention held in Las Vegas, where he claimed there was an ongoing religious war between Satan and liberal values. He mimicked the fiery speech given by Mr. Gibson's character, William Wallace, before a battle with the English in his 1995 film Braveheart, including the famous line, you can take our lives, but you can never take our freedom. Wow, was that like a close parallel? I didn't realize that it was... um... You know, I wonder if I can pull up the whole Braveheart speech. Like, what was the um, full speech transcript? Um, Yeah, okay. Fight and you may die, run and you'll live. Wow, this is a direct quote from Braveheart. Are you fucking serious? That is lazy. This is a direct quote from Braveheart. 
I fight and you may die, run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. That's a direct fucking quote. That is lazy. And it, and it wasn't even acted that well. That is fucking bizarre. Beds many years from now, would you have been willing to trade all the years from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies. Wow. Is he not going to get sued for, like, theft of intellectual property or something? That is bizarre, man. The 53-year-old went on to share familiar QAnon themes about child sex trafficking and religion. We must fight for that authentic freedom and live, my friends. By God, we must live, and with the Holy Spirit as your shield and Christ as your sword, may you join St. Michael and all the other angels in defending God and sending Lucifer and his henchmen straight back to hell where they belong. He told the audience. He ended the speech to thunderous applause with the QAnon motif that the storm is upon us. The storm is commonly referred to in QAnon folklore as the judgment day when Donald Trump orders the arrest of a cabal of celebrities, deep state officials, and democratic politicians who they believe are running a transnational child sex trafficking ring. That's a really good word for it. The storm is kind of like the judgment day when Donald Trump orders the arrest of the cabal. I like that. That's actually a really good comparison. QAnon does follow a lot of religious themes, you know, they're kind of waiting for the end to come. They're waiting for the storm to hit so that all of these people will be arrested and and face consequences for their terrible actions, which by the way they've never even proven are taking place or or who's even doing them if they are. But you know, that doesn't matter. Evidence is irrelevant. When you're in a conspiracy theory like this or a conspiracy group, all evidence or even no evidence backs up your already held belief. You actually receive evidence against what you believe? That's simple. It's easy to explain. The deep state is covering their tracks by planting fake evidence to throw you off their trail. You discover that there's no evidence for what you believe, that's just because the deep state is covering it up too well. Every piece of evidence, whether it contradicts what you believe or not, adds to your belief. That's the kind of mindset these people are in. It's nearly impossible to break them out of it. We need to work on critical thinking education in schools. We need to teach kids how to think critically. That's why we're in the situation we're in right now, in my opinion. Let's keep reading. The speech had been viewed 1.5 million times in a clip posted to the Patriot Takes Twitter account on Tuesday. Some commented that it illustrated an intersection between religious extremism and QAnon. Quote, it's an example of a large-scale spiritual warfare delusion that predates QAnon by decades and is believed by millions more, wrote Matthew Sheffield. Interesting. This is a quote from Matthew Sheffield's Twitter account. The deranged rant just delivered by Jim Caviezel, the Christian extremist actor, sounds like a bunch of random nonsense. Instead, it's an example of a large-scale spiritual warfare delusion that predates QAnon by decades and is believed by millions more. Jim Caviezel also had a whole bunch of little call-outs, little dog whistles, little quotes in there that he used. I mean, that's kind of how QAnon talks go. That's how they do it. 
mentions of the storm and mentions of the cabal and all that stuff. Little tiny dog whistles that most people won't pick up on unless you're in the QAnon movement. This is the end of the article. Mr. Caviezel played Jesus Christ in the 2004 movie The Passion of the Christ, directed by Mr. Gibson, and also appeared in the TV drama Person of Interest. Fascinating. How do we solve this problem? We are in a boatload of trouble right now with the level of extremism that we find in the U.S., we have to work on critical thinking skills for kids in school. How can anybody fight against teaching kids critical thinking? I know Republicans and Trump extremists would find a way to fight that, but it seems like, at its face, something that everybody should ostensibly be able to agree on. When we come back, we're going to talk about Pastor Lance Wallnau's belief that wokeism is a cult. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The next story I wanted to talk about is about a guy named Lance Walnow. I assume that's how you pronounce his name. Maybe I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. Lance Walnaw? Walnow? Walnaw? Anyways, he's what you would call a dominionist. Dominionist basically means he wants to turn the United States into a Christian nationalist country where if you aren't Christian, you aren't really welcome, and he's willing to use any means necessary to accomplish that goal. It gets pretty extreme. In fact, I think he's actually a Seven Mountains Dominionist, not a standard Dominionist, but the Seven Mountains Mandate, where he has an, an expressed interest in controlling the media, education, the military, just every part of society. He wants a Christian extremist at the top of all of those areas of American life. Needless to say, he's pretty out there. He's, he's very extreme. So I wanted to give you a little introduction to who he is. Like I said, I've talked about him before, but just in case you didn't see that clip, I want to give you a little bit of a refresher. So this clip is from mid-October 2020. It's from before the election actually completed. It's from before voting took place and he was still rooting for Trump. So give this clip a watch and see what he has to say for himself. Trump has unfinished business in the nations. And I believe you will not let someone who has stood with Israel and stood with Christians, you will not let them be ingloriously beaten and embarrassed by your enemies. Ooh, yeah, uh, Trump lost. So this, <laughs> this kind of hurts now, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to listen to if I were a Christian extremist. Or a Christian fundamentalist listening to this, I might be a little bit upset with old Walna here. Because your name is part of this, Lord. What will the heathens say? What will the radicals say? What will the communists say when someone who stands with you so conspicuously? No need to wonder. Trump lost. So now we know exactly what the quote-unquote heathens would say, or the communists, or whoever else. That's just fucking glorious. Let's keep listening. You so conspicuously is that does not have a friend in high places watching over them. But I believe you are going to watch over this president. Now, you know, I have to say, 
I don't know why the evangelicals attached to Trump the way they did. Trump was not religious, has never been religious his entire life. I mean, people in his company, people in his personal life have attested to the fact publicly that they've never seen him go to church, they don't believe he's a very religious person, so on and so forth. But here we are, somehow, evangelicals have attached themselves to him. They believe that he's, like, done more for Christianity than anybody else or some other nonsense. How did this happen? How did we get to this point where evangelical pastors, call themselves prophets, actually believe that Trump is almost a new messiah at this point? So that was the first clip I wanted to watch. The next one is from early June 2021. This is after the election ended. Biden was put into the presidency, and he's been in the presidency for about six months at this point, give or take. Let's give this clip a watch and see what Lance Wall now had to say. People say, oh, Lance, I don't know, you sound like a Christian nationalist. Yes, I am a Christian nationalist. I don't know if you guys know what Christian nationalism is. It's, it's similar to white nationalism, where white nationalists believe that white people are the best, and black people shouldn't be in control of anything, in some cases shouldn't even exist in the country, and in even more extreme cases, want to take disturbing measures to remove them from the country through deportation or even execution, whatever it takes to get them out. That's kind of the white nationalist spectrum, if you will, from really extreme to completely over the top. And it's similar with Christian nationalism. Some Christian nationalists simply believe that this country should be run by Christians, and non-Christians like atheists or Muslims or whatever should have no part in government or education or anything else at all. Other Christian nationalists believe that atheists or Muslims or whoever else shouldn't even be citizens of the United States and even more believe that we should deport or even execute anybody who is not a Christian. That's the caliber of person that we're dealing with in Lance Walnaw. People say, oh, Lance, I don't know, you sound like a Christian nationalist. Yes, I am a Christian nationalist. And I will take the flag that God gave us with his blessed freedom and blessed government and blessed nation, and I will take that flag and lead them to the cross. Give me the flag, and I'll carry it all the way to Calvary, and I'll plant it there where the cross is, and say, there's the one that gave you the nation. There's the only one that can save this nation. We've got to give our lives to Jesus. That's fucking disturbing right there. That is straight up fucking disturbing. But you know, to his credit, actually, when our old friend Kat Kerr was out there making predictions about how Trump was going to take the presidency in 2020, Lance Walnaw thought that was probably a bad idea. He thought it was a bad idea to come out and say, God told me, blah, 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 like Kat Kerr said. He was kind of unhappy with Kat Kerr for doing that. Give this one a watch. This is immediately after Inauguration Day. After Biden was inaugurated into the presidency, Lance Walnaut came out and said this on January 22nd, 2021. Ministers are busy obsessing over a woman with pink hair who refuses to recant her prophecy that Trump will be in office. You know... A woman with pink hair, does that sound familiar at all to you guys? 
This woman is so entertaining. My God. I love covering Kat Kerr, but it's like, God, I can't cover her like every fucking episode, you know? Check this out. Woman with pink hair. Right now, I declare and I call for our president to take his rightful place, Trump, to come forth right now Step into your destiny that God gave you, called you, appointed you, and anointed you for this time to declare over America, to help America. Of course, this was after Biden was already inaugurated. She was telling Trump to walk into the White House and take it. Woman with pink hair, though, yeah. Does that sound familiar? That's who Lance Walnaw was talking about, Kat Kerr, weather warrior. Anyway, let's keep listening to uh, Walnaw here. Ministers are busy obsessing over a woman with pink hair who refuses to recant her prophecy that Trump will be in office. You know, prophets lose their own credibility with rational people. After a while, they have to recognize that they missed it. The prophets tend to um, end up exposing themselves because if they prophesy something that doesn't happen, don't you think they know it didn't happen? And the Mets will win the World Series. Well, what if they don't? I'm holding on. God told me and they're going to win. It may take a year, but they'll be winning it. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in elections either. That's fascinating. That's an extremely fascinating perspective. He's correct. This is coming from a guy who is a Christian nationalist to the core. Like I said, I don't know where he is on the spectrum between just doesn't want, you know, non-Christians involved in government and he actually wants to execute any non-Christians in the country. I don't know where he falls on that spectrum. Maybe he's the most moderate of Christian extremists and just doesn't want any non-Christians involved in government, for all we know. That's still an extreme position either way. But on prophecy he seems to be connected to reality in some ways to some degree he realizes that coming out and claiming that god told you this thing is true when we have evidence that it's not is probably a bad play you lose credibility among normal people when you do that kind of shit so anyways that if anything makes him a little bit more dangerous to me it means he's a competent christian nationalist he knows what he's doing. Anyways, he has this podcast called The Lance Walnaw Show. And I wanted to listen to just a minute or two of this. This episode came out early November, so fairly recently. Give this clip a listen. He was interviewing somebody. Check this out. Uh, progressivism is really a false religion. And we have a whole chapter in our book of how the left is exactly mimicking how we like things that are sacred or not sacred. You remember a while back, I mean, I've been talking about this for a while, but Christian extremists want to turn things that they don't like into religions for a couple of reasons, in my experience. It seems to me that they want to do it because, A, it makes you a heretic if you take part. They did this shit with LGBT people. Like, if you accept LGBT family members, they come out and they say, hey, I'm gay and I have a boyfriend, if you accept that and continue to have a relationship with them after that, you're a heretic. You're not a true Christian. You're evil, and you should be excised from your Christian community, from your church. That's their kind of goal with all of this. That's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it, in my experience, is it's one short hop from religion 
to cult in their eyes. They think it's easier to convince you that it's this big evil industry that's trapping poor innocent people and manipulating them and influencing them and all that other stuff. So if they convince you it's a religion, they can call you a heretic for following it, and they can more easily label it a cult. Let's keep listening sacred or not sacred and um and they have their own confessions you know it's a religion really devoid without forgiveness and cancel culture i mean they have their own excommunication i mean it's very similar to what we would see in modern day religions but just throwing all that out there well it is. and, it, and we, we talked about it because what people don't realize is the whole woke industrial complex woke industrial complex what does that even mean i don't understand hang on let me look something up real fast. Give me a second here. I want to see if we're going to find something. So the first time I had ever heard of the military-industrial complex, I believe was from Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was warning about the military-industrial complex on his way out of office. And the definition of military-industrial complex is an, a country's military establishment and those industries producing arms or other military materials regarded as powerful vested interest. The idea is lawmakers and the country more generally could have a vested interest in going to war because it would stimulate their economy. I guess the idea is you have this vested interest in this thing playing out or this thing happening because it would be economically stimulative or it would be good for your pocketbook or whatever. What does he mean by the woke industrial complex? People don't realize is the whole woke industrial complex what does that mean? I don't understand. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Seriously. Is this like the gay agenda? Is that one of those things? What is the gay agenda? Please lay it out for me. Tony Morris, one of the governing body members of Jehovah's Witnesses, has this weird fucking obsession with tight pants. He says gay people running the fashion industry want men in tight pants because they enjoy looking at them. And if you wear tight pants, basically skinny jeans or whatever, then you are basically agreeing to be eye candy for the gay agenda. This is like the whole, this is the gay agenda. We're looking at it apparently. But when you wear tight pants, it's part of the gay agenda. I'm wondering if the woke industrial complex is equally as unhinged as that. That's hard to top. Woke industrial complex is a, an indoctrination into a weird new religion. It's the weird new religion of wokeness. It's going to be the destruction of Western civilization if it isn't dealt with because Christians don't want to ever appear to be intolerant. So they just won't go near talking truth about this stuff. They're I'm sorry, wait a minute. Christians don't want to be called intolerant? Are you fucking kidding me? They absolutely love being called intolerant. That's like one of their favorite things. It's like this persecution complex thing. They are obsessed with being persecuted, seemingly. I'm talking about the extreme right-wing Christians, like the people that are totally unhinged from reality, like living in delusion land, Trump followers, Trump cultists, people like that. Those types of people love to fabricate persecution where there is none. I'm sure you guys have probably heard the term, when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. I get that that probably has some role to play in their persecution complex. You know, they're probably used to 
this superior position and now they're forced to be equals with everybody and they don't like that. I, I get that plays some part in it, but some things that these right-wing Christian extremists, Christian nationalists do or complain about, it's straight up not persecution. I mean, there's just nothing there, plain and simple. I'm sure you guys have seen that bit about Fox News attacking Dr. Seuss or attacking the left for canceling Dr. Seuss because Dr. Seuss, the company, decided to discontinue like nine of their books or something like that. I don't remember how many. And they just came unhinged saying that Dr. Seuss is being canceled, where in reality it was just a private company deciding, yeah, we're just not printing these books anymore. There was no persecution to it. There's no canceling involved here. But they always have to have this persecution narrative in their back pocket. Let's keep listening. Talking truth about this stuff. They're always trying to find common ground uh, to, to not appear to be intolerant. But you see, intolerance is the new religion. This progressive fundamentalism is a religion. It's got its own false confessions. You have to make the confession. You can't just love your neighbor who might deal with homosexuality like you would love your neighbor who might be dealing with adultery or theft or something like that, but you have to celebrate it. If you don't make the confession, you're a, you're sinning and you deserve to have all the consequences. Okay, that's a little bit of a stretch. She's saying if you don't celebrate that they're gay, you will be excommunicated i guess or you could just leave people alone that's all anybody has ever wanted seriously let people live their lives and do their thing and just stay the fuck out of it that's all anybody has ever asked that's it jesus fucking christ the the persecution complex right back to the persecution complex they are being hurt and wounded because you want them to accept you it's your fault for wanting acceptance and they're being persecuted because they don't want to accept you. That's part of their religious belief by forcing them to just let you live your life. You are persecuting them when all you know is privilege. Equality feels like oppression. You're a, you're <sighs> sinning and you deserve to have all the consequences. Years ago, I was you. confronted by an HR director of a major corporation. And I realized that it's the HR departments, the hiring HR departments in the corporations that were targeted by the by the homosexual lobby at that point, the homosexual movement in order to get gay representatives in the HR departments because. Wait a minute. Okay, hang on. Let's just step back a second. Let me listen to that one more time. That were targeted by the by the homosexual lobby. At the, the homosexual lobby? There is a lobby? There are gay lobbyists that lobby for people to be gay? Question mark? Is that what he's saying? I'm trying to sort my way through this. What a confusing fucking mess. What is the homosexual lobby? Please explain this to me. In order to get gay representatives in the HR departments, because they would hire their own woke people and they would, in a sense, vet and get rid of the conservatives or evangelicals. So in a sense, in what sense, in what sense would they get rid of evangelicals? or right-wingers. Is that what he said? And they would, in a sense, vet and get rid of the conservatives or evangelicals. So, like, nobody gives a shit about your political positions. If you keep that shit at home, 
no problems. If I went out there to my job and started screaming about atheists and how I hate Christians, they would fire my ass, and probably rightfully so. Leave that shit at home. You're there to do a job. Leave politics and religion and all that other shit at home if it's going to start a fight with somebody. It's nobody's business. Just live your life, do your job, and go home. If you are starting shit with somebody because they're gay and you don't like that, you deserve to be fired, as far as I'm concerned. You absolutely deserve to be fired for that. Is that what he's talking about? In a sense, filtering these people out? If these people make a scene over it, they deserve it. But FYI, I, I'm hard-pressed to believe that this is even a real story. I have a distinct feeling that he's completely full of shit. The moment he said the gay lobby, uh, or the homosexual lobby, I started kind of questioning the reality of this story. And I talked to a guy who this was actually what he was doing in a major corporation. Because I, I was talking like a Christian. I said, well, Christians are, you know, we're blessed are the peacemakers. We're not, we're not trying to hurt anybody. And he said, you don't. And it was a contempt and, 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 and anger. He said, you don't get it. We don't want your acceptance. Who are you to accept us? You will affirm us. Do you know what that means? You are going to embrace us, affirm us, celebrate us. You're going to bow to the realization that um, that we are legitimate and you cannot reject us. Even if your religion disapproves of homosexuality, you're going to change that. Oh, please. I do not believe this even a little bit. I'm sorry. I can't even imagine that situation playing out in real life. I just, I'm calling bullshit. I'm sorry. Give me some evidence. Give me some evidence. Anything. I'll take fucking anything for this. Until you give me any shred of evidence, anything at all, I'm not buying it. The story itself is completely ridiculous from the ground up. And I realize <clears throat> this is not what I thought it was. By the way, this doesn't represent all, all gays. But unfortunately, those, it's kind of like moderate Muslims. They exert no influence when it comes to uh, terrorism. Wow. He just compared gay people in America to terrorists. That's basically what he did just now, right? And I realize <clears throat> this is not what I thought it was. By the way, this doesn't represent all, all gays. But unfortunately, those, it's kind of like moderate Muslims. They exert no influence when it comes to uh, terrorism. No low. There is no low to these people. No logic to be found and no low they're afraid to reach. Dude just called gay people terrorists. When we come back, we're going to talk about religious talk show host Glenn Beck going from hating Trump to loving him at breakneck speeds. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The next story I wanted to talk about is about a guy named Glenn Beck. Now, you guys probably know who this is, but in case you don't, let me catch you up. He is a far-right, extreme religious wingnut. 
He is a Mormon, I believe, and he runs the TV network The Blaze. In fact, his TV network recently hosted Dave Rubin. I think Dave Rubin is heavily involved in The Blaze, or at least was recently. So I, I guess they're kind of friends with each other. I don't know. But I wanted to give you a little bit of background on Glenn Beck because he's a complex character. The dude started out absolutely hating Trump. Check out this clip from January 25th, 2016. This is before he kind of went all in with this. This is what he had to say about Donald Trump, 2016. Donald Trump, I really truly believe, is a very dangerous man. If you listen to, Chris, some of the things he said this weekend, I could go on in Fifth go Avenue ahead. and I could shoot Please. people and I wouldn't lose a single vote. He's joked about killing reporters like Putin. The mood of the country is very angry, but you never make a good decision when you're angry. The worst thing we can do is to now start looking at, well, who's gonna get revenge? One, one of the things that Donald Trump does, and look, you wanna take a shot at me. I mean, look at me, Chris. You can take, there's lots of jokes to be made. Um, so it doesn't bother me. Self-deprecating humor is actually very telling. It kind of gives us some insight into your own mindset and how you feel about yourself. I would recommend never using self-deprecating humor because it, it, it is really very revealing. Don't use deprecating humor in general for the most part, I, in my opinion. I mean, I don't, I don't give a shit what you do, but I try not to use deprecating humor where I'm making fun of myself or somebody else because it, it kind of gives us insight into what you really feel. Not always, but... Generally speaking, in my opinion, it's pretty revealing. That's kind of sad when you think about it. Look, you want to take a shot at me? I mean, look at me, Chris. You can take, there's lots of jokes to be made. Um, so it doesn't bother. Yeah, look at, look at Chris Cuomo cringing over here. He realizes that self-deprecating humor is kind of a lens into his inner psyche also. But uh, to address what Glenn Beck is saying here, I couldn't possibly agree with him more. Donald Trump, I really truly believe, is a very dangerous man. Well said, dude. And he gave us solid, logical reasons for all of this stuff. The fact that, yeah, maybe the mood in the country is angry, but you don't make decisions when you're angry. It's a bad idea, so on and so forth. Sure, I can get on board with all that shit that he had to say about it. The bizarre thing about all of this is that he doesn't really stand by these statements anymore. We'll get into it a little bit more in a second. Just keep listening. When you have a guy who is angry and then has an enemies list and starts just to take people down over and over and over again, if you disagree with him, he destroys you. That, that, if that's well, the mood of the me, country, is, is there... we're in more trouble than I thought. Absolutely. Could not have said it better myself. I completely agree with the guy. He has an enemies list that he tries to take down. Donald Trump is a scumbag. I don't like insulting people or whatever, and that isn't really an insult. You know, that's just kind of a description of his personality. I'm not trying to kind of skate around my own rules of never insulting people here. I'm just describing, like, you know, what Trump does, what he's like. He's like a sleazebag, right? He's like a used car salesman just trying to get one up on you, trying to take advantage of whoever is around. That's his personality, or what I can see of it. That's what he has always done since since the day he really entered the public spotlight in a big way as president. Anyways, that was Glenn Beck in 2016. This is where it gets interesting. 
2020, late October, he completely flipped. He changed his mind, did a 180. Give this clip a listen and see what he had to say. Again, this is late October 2020, right before Election Day. Remember, Election Day was November 3rd, 2020, so give this a listen. For about 10 years, I never had a dream. I never went into REM sleep, and it was really bad, really bad for my body. Yeah, that that's super uncommon, extremely uncommon for that to be the case. And if you don't get enough sleep and get good sleep cycles, it can actually kill you if you're not careful or, or if the right set of circumstances play out. It can kill you. I'm guessing he probably had sleep apnea because as far as I know, not being able to reach REM sleep can be the result of having sleep apnea. So I don't know. It's just speculation. Just don't take my word for it. I'm just guessing that that was probably the cause of his issues. But let's keep listening. But uh, I had a dream and I don't think it was a dream because um, I hadn't had one in 10 years. My brother actually dealt with this where he couldn't reach REM sleep for a while um, because of sleep apnea and things like that. And, you know, when people don't dream for a while and then they finally do dream again as a result of like not reaching REM sleep or whatever, it actually becomes so incredibly vivid. It is scary from what I'm told. There is an anti-smoking medicine called Chantix it will give you disturbingly vivid dreams too. Um, so vivid, in fact, that you can't tell the difference between what's a dream and what's reality at a certain point. I knew somebody who dealt with that when they were taking Chantix, and that's when they stopped taking the medicine. These all seem to be symptoms of a medical condition that he had. Let's keep listening. It was so terrifying to me that I didn't, I couldn't even tell my wife for about six months. Later, about a year later, I had the same vision when I was meeting with uh, somebody like Kenneth Copeland. Wait, it's a vision now? I thought it was just a really vivid dream as a result of a medical condition that you had. Is he saying that God gave him a vision? That I really, really respect. And um, they called me out of the blue and said, can you come see me? And I said, sure. And I went to see them. They said, sometimes the Lord speaks to us in dreams. And that night before, I had had that dream a second time. Okay, so is it a vision or is it a dream? A lot of psychics and pastors and televangelists and things, they'll do something called cold reading, especially faith healers. Faith healers like to do this cold reading thing. I'm sure you guys have probably heard of this, but it's this thing where uh, you know, let me just define it real quick. Cold reading is a set of techniques used by mentalists, psychics, fortune tellers, and mediums. Without prior knowledge, a practiced cold reader can quickly obtain a great deal of information by analyzing the person's body language, age, clothing, or fashion, hairstyle, gender, sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity level of education, manner of speech, place of origin, so on and so forth. Cold readings commonly employ high probability guesses, quickly picking up signals as to whether their guesses are in the right direction or not. 
then emphasizing and reinforcing chance connections and quickly moving on from missed guesses. Psychologists believe that this appears to work because of the forer effect and due to confirmation biases within people. Another common tactic of like faith healers or psychics or whatever with cold reading is they'll be standing in front of a crowd and they'll say, God's giving me the letter J and I see death around the letter J. Does anybody in the audience have somebody who's died recently whose name starts with the letter J? A friend, a relative, and, you know, out of a crowd of, say, 400 people, of course there's going to be somebody in the room who knows somebody whose name started with J who died in the past 10 years, you know? It's a super straightforward, common, easy trick to see straight through. So what Glenn Beck is describing here, it honestly wouldn't surprise me at all to learn that it was pure coincidence and nothing more. It's... Hard to believe that it's anything other than coincidence. If this pastor had written this down and been extremely specific about their prediction or prophecy or whatever else, and handed the note to Glenn Beck, and before he opened the note, he described it to him, and then opened the note, and it was perfectly in line with what had been written down, that'd be a different situation. But it's never like that. It's always easily explained coincidences. But you know what the old QAnon people always say, right? There are no coincidences. Let's keep listening to Glenn Beck. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us in dreams. And that night before, I had had that dream a second time. And I'd only told my wife. And I said, uh-huh. And he said, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Cryptic. That could have been literally anything. He didn't even need to have had a dream for that to really mean something to Glenn Beck. I said, uh-huh. And he said, don't dismiss that. And I said, okay. He said, promise me, do not dismiss that. And I said, I won't. That really honestly sounds like some stupid cold reading trick that they were doing. He didn't say it was Kenneth Copeland. He said it was somebody who he really respects like Kenneth Copeland. It may not have even been a televangelist. Could have been some other Christian nutter butter, or honestly could have been a psychic or something. I mean, Glenn Beck is Mormon, so I'm guessing he doesn't really make a habit of going to psychics. But Christian evangelists, you know, televangelists and stuff, they tend to kind of use the same tricks of the trade as psychics do. Dismiss that. And I said, I won't. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. And I went home. It wasn't until this spring. I had almost dismissed it, but I had made a promise not to because it didn't fit anymore until this spring. And all of a sudden it took on completely new meaning. I just warn you that we are in a spiritual battle against evil unleashed. Uh, we are not fighting the Democrats. We are fighting Satan himself. That's actually really concerning. Um, the fact that he has now labeled his political enemies as pretty much Satan is concerning. When you dehumanize your enemy and make them out to be the most evil thing imaginable, the most evil being in existence, you become willing to do literally anything to hurt them, to destroy them. Let's watch the next clip. Uh, this one came out November 4th, 2020. 
it was the night the day after the election took place we didn't know if trump won we didn't know if biden won either we at this point in time in the election trump had declared victory biden hadn't declared victory and trump had no reason to declare victory so let's give this a listen this was election covered from glenn beck check it out if you truly believe that this was stolen which i'm not saying it is at this point but if you really truly believe in the end that it was stolen and they are going to steal it and it and destroy our constitution and fundamentally transform us into something that we are not i keep hearing the words of the declaration it is it is the uh right it is their duty to overthrow those government, uh, that government and the chains uh, and reinstitute something that protects those rights. That's fucking concerning. That's scary fucking rhetoric. He is literally at this point saying he wants Trump supporters to overthrow the government and reinstall Trump as a dictator. At this point, Trump had already come out on stage like the night before in his victory speech, he basically said, yeah, this was faked, this is fraud, you know, it's all, they stuffed the ballot boxes, blah, 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 all that shit that he's been saying. He laid out the narrative ahead of time. He laid out the narrative the night of the election. And here is Glenn Beck reinforcing that narrative, backing it up and saying Trump was right. As we saw later, this actually came to fruition. Donald Trump set up a, you know, a, a situation in which the January 6th events could play out. Of course, the literal coup failed in that one case, and hopefully we won't see any more of those coup attempts in the future. But this is what Glenn Beck wanted, January 6th. That's exactly what he wanted, seemingly, based on what we're listening to here, right? This next clip I wanted to watch is from early November 2021. And then we've got another one from early March 2021. So this one is the newer one. Let's give this one a watch and see what Glenn Beck had to say. I want to tell you um, what I feel prompted to tell you. In fact, urgently prompted to tell you there is going to come a time when our founding documents uh and i when i say that i mean the federalist papers and everything um that they are not going to be able to be found what as if the internet doesn't exist these things are spread far and wide i mean they are all over the fucking place like you can find copies of this stuff in all kinds of different countries what is he even talking about he believes the founding documents won't be able to be found like the declaration of independence we won't be able to find it like the cabal or the deep state is going to erase it from the internet or something okay let's keep watching and you must preserve them now, this is something that I knew in 2008, and that's why we had Mercury One. We've done a really good job in preserving as much as we can. Um, however, uh, I don't think that's good enough anymore. You must have a copy of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers. You need to have some of the founding documents on how it works. 
Okay, the only way that this advice could possibly be useful, if there was complete societal collapse, as in the internet doesn't exist in the United States anymore. That's basically the only way that this could legitimately be a problem, if the internet doesn't exist. I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around like their doomsday mindset. I guess it makes it a little bit easier that I grew up a Jehovah's Witness around doomsday cultists, but it's strange to view it from a political perspective because politics weren't really part of my life when I was a Jehovah's Witness. I wasn't allowed to be involved in politics. But here they are explaining how we're going to start a new government because the current government and apparently society are going to completely collapse and there won't be any internet, I guess, or won't be access to it or whatever. It's just fucking odd. Anyways, let's watch this next clip from Glenn Beck. This one came out early March 2021. Check it out. They are banning... Dr. Seuss books. They. Remember those weasel words? Who's they? Who is banning Dr. Seuss books? I can tell you, actually, who's banning Dr. Seuss books. I remember this coming out when all of this was a huge debacle. Nobody, nobody is banning Dr. Seuss books. Nobody ever tried to ban Dr. Seuss books. You know what happened, actually, in reality? The company that owns the Dr. Seuss name or whatever... Dr. Seuss decided to discontinue a few of their older books from like the 30s to the 60s or something like that. I think it was maybe nine different books. They decided to just stop printing those because, you know, they got newer stuff and some of the things in the older copies were, you know, kind of racist. So shit, it, it's just a normal company making normal company decisions for themselves. That's it. That's what it was. It wasn't anybody banning Dr. Seuss books. The left was not canceling Dr. Seuss. This is another culture war fabrication, is what this was. Let's keep listening. How much more do you need to see before all of America wakes up and goes, this is fascism? It's fascism for a private company to make a decision for themselves without outside influence? How is that fascism? Please explain it to me. I would love to know. This is fascism. You don't destroy books. Nobody destroyed the books. My God. They just decided to stop printing those. Nobody told you to burn them. Nobody's going around with matches and lighter like it's Fahrenheit 451 or some shit. They just discontinued printing them. We've done that for tens of thousands, dare I say millions of books in human history, and he hasn't sat here and bitched about every one of those. Why does he suddenly care about the ones that contain racist stuff that were discontinued intentionally by the company without outside influence? It's all about the culture war. That's it. What is wrong with us, America? Go out and buy those books today. Find out if you can get them. Buy Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Uh, that's another callback to another little culture war thing that was going on around that time. Potato Head, the company, decided to re rename the company from Mr. Potato Head to Potato Head. Simple as that. They were still going to have all of the parts for Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. They weren't 
removing the gender of the potato heads. They were removing Mr. from the name of the company. That's it. But none of these nuances mattered to these people. They didn't give a shit. All they care about is fighting the culture war. Because it's the end of an era. It is the end of freedom in America. All they care about is fighting the culture war. And sadly, this culture war that they seem to be waging, it seems to be working. So what's the ultimate point of this clip? The point is that Glenn Beck did a 180 on Donald Trump, started out fucking hating the guy. Donald Trump, I really truly believe, is a very dangerous man. And then went all the way to justifying domestic terrorism to keep him in the presidency. It is their duty to overthrow those government, uh, that government and the chains uh, and reinstitute something that protects those rights. And we moved right on cleanly to him completely losing his shit over some stupid culture war thing that he didn't understand in the first place. The guy is actually extremely toxic in a lot of ways, and I want to do a deeper dive into who he is later down the line. But I was hoping this would give you a little bit of context for where his head is at. Thank you guys for coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.